Greetings humans and happy new year. Welcome to Lefteris Ask Science edition number 20. Took a small break after the holidays but we're back and we'll all work hard to answer as many questions about science and academia as we can in 2021. I hope you had the chance to relax and unwind a bit and I wish you the best for this new year. For this first edition of the show in 2021, we wanted to do something a bit different. Usually, the topics that we deal with are quite specific and I try to identify what makes them interesting for researchers. For this edition of the show, we'll talk about the loaded term fake news. What's the definition of fake news? How do academics classify misinformation? And what's the role of social media? I'm sure you all have answers and opinions on this topic, but this week I talked with Panagiotis Smeros. He's a senior PhD student at the Ecole Polytechnique Federale de Lausanne and a member of the Distributed Information Systems Lab. Before we continue with the show, if you enjoy listening to it, subscribe to the podcast and share it as this is the best way for the podcast to grow. Additionally, I have a weekly newsletter where I share my favorite news from the world of science and academia. I have small explanations and links to the research for anyone who wants to find out more. If you like that, go to the show notes and click that link to subscribe. Also, if you have any questions or suggestions, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at lefteris underscore asks and email me at lefteris at lefteirisasks.com. Let's now meet Dr. Panagiotis Smeros. Hello, I'm Panagiotis Smeros. I'm a PhD student at APFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. I'm working on the area of news analytics in general and particularly on scientific misinformation. Misinformation is not something new. It has probably just been emphasized more and more with social media and the rapid exchange of information. A mildly popular website can share some news that are false and then they would spread like the Spanish flu. However, I'm sure that the origins of this more widespread misinformation is something we all have a small experience with. 10, 20 years ago, it, it was only these spam emails that you, you would get so it's um, it's like back then you didn't have uh, all the pages were static you didn't have uh, we didn't have social media so uh, not not a lot of information exchange so it was only through uh, emails and the first form of uh, misinformation was this was uh, these spam emails so these uh, emails from the, the the Nigerian prince <laughs> that wants to <laughs> to donate uh, you know uh, one hundred thousand uh, dollars yeah that was misinformation <laughs> it never happened um, <laughs> so uh, the, this evolved uh, through time and now now it's ever everywhere because you you know you have because we we live also in this in in the era of uh, pandemic uh the 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 similar term uh, that is used for information is infodemic so you extend exchange information and you don't know what to trust and who to trust uh so it's a it's a very complex problem uh in general while news articles and analyses interest us a lot We'll try to use scientific publications and articles as examples of misinformation here. We'll get to the news reporting later, but science news is something that we hold dear. 
Having done research for many years and knowing the effort that it takes to publish an article, we are interested to see how some pop science magazines can misinterpret some data in their efforts to share knowledge. Misinterpretation is one aspect of uh, misinformation because you uh, there is also the, the intent that so uh, and it's mostly for scientific news. So in scientific news, you 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 find this misinform misinterpretation of of some papers because it's it's a very difficult uh, difficult problem if you think of it because you have to you have some scientific papers and you are not an expert, right? And what you want to do is to translate these papers into something into popular science, which is very difficult because you cannot uh, the the language is different, right? You you are not using terminology from the different uh, disciplines, and you, but you in at the same time you have to um, to translate the papers so it's it's like a translation problem actually it's uh, the two languages are the scientific and the, the language of like lay people that uh, they can understand there you need to find the the right abstraction from the paper to actually write an article that does not uh, misinterpret the, the original science, which is very difficult. And, and you can see it with all this misinformation about COVID, for example. You get the, the news if you want, if you want from CDC. And there the, they are trying to do this. They're, they're trying to translate the, the papers that are coming in real time now for, for COVID. And they want to find out the papers that are credible and translate them to, to, for, for, for the people. And it has a lot of impact for, for, for people. Whereas for political misinformation, for example, there it's intentional. So, uh, and it's mostly uh, opinion based. So for, for example, in the US politics, as we were discussing before, anything that, uh, I don't know, fo Fox News is saying for, for Democrats, it's fake news or it's not fake news. It's, almost fake news. I mean, it's uh, fake news un uh, unless you prove that it's not. The <laughs> um, uh, same uh, the other way around. So uh, there it's more opinion based. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of pre-existing biases in order to accept or uh, not accept the, something that you read in the news. Whereas in uh, the scientific domain, it's m m more uh like based on papers that have been peer-reviewed etc so it's more uh fact-based and just like that we see that misinformation can be intentional or non-intentional we use examples from scientific publications for the non-intentional and political news for the intentional misinformation not because that's the only fashion this type of misinformation exists, but it's at least easier to identify for the terms of this conversation. Let's now jump into research and see how do you start to classify a problem of misinformation in an academic context. There are many ways that you can tackle the problem. The, let's say the classical computer science solution uh, to this is to uh, uh, train an algorithm to classify whether uh, something is credible or not. So it's like a classification problem. Uh, you have uh, two labels, true or false, and you want to um, 
and you give us input a, a lot of uh, uh, news articles, uh, and you train a, a machine learning model that, let's say, that outputs the the result. The problem is when we're talking about news uh, and you know content moderation in, in general, you cannot provide or it's a bit dangerous to provide an automatic solution because you know um uh, for example th there are many uh such models for uh image classification that you want to identify images with uh cats and dogs that's the the common uh, example uh there you can afford having uh some false positives and false negatives in when we are talking about news and misinformation, you have zero tolerance to uh, false uh, positivity. Because you imagine that you you are you are an independent journalist and you 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 are not supported by I don't know BBC or New York Times, but you have an article that is a credible article and it's a, like a different opinion from the others. So in terms of content, it differs from all the others. So you could say that if something differs from the norm or from, from the mainstream media, then it is uh, mis misinformation. But is it really? Because uh, you can, uh, at the same time, you can have uh, an independent journalist that um, uh, writes something credible, has a, a credible blog or something uh, with a different opinion. And on the other hand, you can have uh, like all these conspiracy theories, which is again independent. Like if you see it uh, uh, <laughs> abstractly, it's uh, it's the same. It's independent journalists that they don't do the, their job uh, uh, right, but uh, still you you cannot distinguish between the two. Uh, if you if you have something, if you have a, a automatic uh, content moderation, I think because. That, that's my personal opinion because there are people that work in this area and they they propose uh, algorithms uh, that is like a black box for for news editors uh, and they say oh yeah this is fake news this is uh, good news I don't think that's that's the way to solve the problem uh, maybe maybe you you maybe that's a red flag if you have some some indicators from the from the article maybe that's a red flag and then you have to to investigate manually otherwise it's it's very dangerous to to base all your uh, the your news consumption only on these uh, uh, algorithms so that's what is interesting for researchers in computer science, at least, when they are trying to find ways to identify misinformation. But as Panagetis Sumeros said, algorithms by themselves can be a bit dangerous. This is what happens when big social media platforms like Twitter or Facebook try to moderate content using an algorithm. More often than not, things get falsely identified as misinformation or things get through the algorithm without it. But what sort of data would an algorithm like that consider? In my case, I wanted to, to provide like a framework to, to solve this problem. So uh, to provide some indicators that showcase the credibility of scientific articles. And these indicators uh, derive from the content itself. 
which is uh, uh, an indicator of the quality of the article, but also from the context. And the context is the, the social media, all the posts that are uh, referring to this article, and also the, the scientific literature. So all the, the references that this article has to uh, scientific literature, so, so you, you have to consider the, the whole context to, to be able to, to judge the quality of, the, of an article. Uh, so what we are doing, uh, for example, imagine that you have, you have a scientific news article and you have two ways of uh, quoting, uh, the original authors of the, of the papers. You, you can say, you know, researchers from university of whatever, from Stanford, they, they proved that X. And then you have another article or within the same article, you have another paragraph uh, and you say, uh, and you read that, um, I don't know, it has been proven that uh, Z. Uh, would you believe X or uh, Z? I mean, it's, it's more credible if you have, if you show uh, uh, if you are quoting the, the original author or if you have references, if you have, so that, that's, that's one indicator, one from, uh, the indicators that we, we are extracting. Um, the other is, uh, uh, you know, you have, uh, you have these clickbait, uh, titles normally because you want to, uh, that's mostly because you, you have this attention economy in social media and you want to, uh, you have a balance of information and you want to just to, to write a, a title, to have a title that the other will, will click. So you have these clickbait, uh, titles, uh, which by the way, we, we found in the paper that clickbaitness of the title, uh, does not correlate with, um, with the quality of the article because that's, uh, that's a different story. I mean, you, you have a clickbait title because you want to, uh, people to follow the link and visit your, your website. It's not about the quality, uh, of the article itself. Then from, from uh, that, that is from, from the content. Uh, now from the, uh, from social media, uh, you can see, uh, you can extract the stance of the people towards the, um, uh, the article, like whether people are, are sharing the article and they are saying, uh, look, this is fake or, um, I don't know. That's a, that's a great article. These are different stances, uh, towards the article. Also the sentiment also, you know, uh, the attention in general that the article gets, uh, in social media. Because the, there are some sciences that are more, I don't know, they are more sexy for, for social media. So if you, if you, if you, if you see an article that say this AI solves the problem X, then you know that it will be viral, uh, instantly. <laughs> uh, whereas if you say that, uh, I don't know, we, we created a new join algorithm for, uh, SQL, uh, nobody cares about that. Although the impact will be more, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. All this from, from social media and then for, for, for the relation to, uh, the scientific literature, uh, we want to see whether, 
whether the, the article itself and the and the ter terminology that is used in the article is close enough to the references and also the 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 related work uh, in the area. So if you are if you try to be close enough to the academic terminology, let's see. So these are some of the information that they use in order to try to construct algorithms that detect misinformation. Immediately, we see the role of social media that plays in this work and how useful they are, or rather how useful we are as users, in order to help algorithms identify sources of misinformation. However, one other thing that we mentioned are the references. Immediately, I was wondering, does this also translate when you work with non-scientific news? Most of these uh, indicators, they, they do work also for uh, non-scientific uh, uh, news articles uh, with the abstraction that instead of having scientific sources as the, the end point, so after uh, the news articles, you don't have scientific uh, uh, papers, but you have you should have other types of sources, right? <laughs> uh, it's not always the case, uh, but you should have some sources. I mean, it's it's uh, always uh, uh, the same, and also that is true uh, for because we are we are we are thinking of uh, news as something that is in a news portal or, or in a blog or something that is uh, independent and it has uh, it has uh, like bef behind some uh, uh, journalists some editors etc however you uh, i mean everybody can create uh, content that is newsworthy so in social media you can write whatever you want and the the most common answer to do when you want to to uh, attack the credibility of something you you are asking for sources uh, so exactly uh, it's the same like the, you have to build the same context uh, for also for po political misinformation for all the kinds of uh, of misinformation now for the most part misinformation can be categorized as intentional or non-intentional but there are two more categories that we talked about here First one is satire articles. An article from their website like The Onion, which should not be really taken seriously and it's usually not harmful. So an algorithm needs to identify that as well. However, there are also opinion pieces. The other categorization is whether the uh, misinformation is based on opinion or uh, on facts. So if or opinion-based misinformation is mostly um, like political misinformation because you you have all this this background on uh, your beliefs and it's it's very hard to convince um, uh, someone uh, on on this type of uh, misinformation because uh, as I said you have the the pre-existing biases and you you know that something uh, is by definition true or uh, false. So you build on top of this, and then if you are exposed to a completely different uh, view on the on the on this uh, problem, then then you uh, you uh, automatically identify this as uh, false uh, information. Whereas on on fact fact based, uh, still you 
you have some facts uh, that you build on top your knowledge. But the thing is that even in science, you cannot take something as uh, you, you take something as ground truth, but the ground truth uh, changes over time. So it is something very temporal. Trying to identify intent on the misinformation is not a simple task. Sometimes it could be clear cut, but more often than not, there are many nuances that make an automatic classifier almost impossible. So we've been talking about the methods of detecting misinformation on the internet. However, they're still there and they're rampant. People get trapped in these echo chambers or filter bubbles. Basically, this means that you're stuck in an environment that you only get a specific kind of information. So when you are in a filter bubble, you the information that you are getting from your uh, social uh, uh, bubble reinforces itself. So, uh, for for example, if you if it happens that you are in a, in an Adivax community for some reason, you will consume and you and you will produce news that are related to to the Andivax uh, community. Uh, and it's very hard that that's that's one of the fields that it's very interesting to study how to burst this bubble or how how to uh, be exposed to other opinions that are outside your comfort zone get out of these echo chambers. Typically when when you live there in a, in a in a social platform it's very it's very very hard to get out especially because the social pl- platforms themselves they want you to get even deeper in these echo chambers because that's their objective is to to increase the the attention for 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 this um community because if you if you are in an echo chamber you you will you are more willing to comment to to support these to to like exchange information with other people so taking all the parameters we discussed Panagiotis Meros in his PhD work is trying to construct an algorithm that ideally will output a true or false value on the credibility of the news article they do that by training an algorithm in a group of articles that have already been identified as true or false based on these attributes that we talked about, like sources, social media reactions, etc. However, they found another interesting result in their research. What we also show in the work that we have is that without even aggregating the, these to, to a final label, true or false, even just by exposing the users to these uh, indicators, uh, that helps them evaluate the, the quality of the article better than without the indicators. So we are, somehow we are using the, the end users as the algorithm that uh, decides whether something is credible or not. Because if you, uh, as I told you before, if you do this automatically, then you may have these false uh, positives, negatives. So it's better to trust people that they can judge the quality of the article and it's better to, to make their life uh, easier, like to, to expose them to a lot of indicators. And then you, 
you, you trust and for the for the credibility. I would be very happy if I, I would tell you now, yeah, we have an algorithm that identifies uh, fake news and the problem is solved and we, we go home and I'm getting a, mi- <laughs> a million dollars now in my bank account and uh, done. But the problem is, is not so easy. And uh, I believe that. So the, the other solution that other science, sciences propose is to, you know, to educate people, to uh, identify whether something is false or not. So to educate people to search for uh, sources, to educate people to like not believe something because they, they saw it in, uh, in social media, et cetera, et cetera. I agree with that approach. I mean, that's that's a long-term uh, solution. In, in the meantime, we have to do something, right? And we have to provide a computer science uh, solution to that. I mean, that that will be a solution for like 20 years from now. But in the meantime, uh, we need to find ways to, to mitigate the problem. And by having these indicators, uh, by, by exposing users to these indicators, Plus some literacy on the on the topic that somehow will resolve the the, the main problem. One last thing I wanted to ask had to do with bias. Everyone has an opinion and their own bias on news. Is there a way for an algorithm to identify the bias? Yeah, this is a paradox because to identify bias, you should be biased, <laughs> right? That's a good point. Uh, I mean, you, uh, we can discuss right now for news outlets in Greece or in uh, the US, uh, whether they are left-leaning or right-leaning. And, you know, depending on on your leaning, you identify also the, the leaning of the of the news outlet. Yeah, that's that's a very, very hard problem. If you want to learn more about how computer science manages to classify articles, or if you're a scientist and you're interested in working with news, Panagiotis Meros co-created Silence and Newsteller, where they basically offer the users all the data they use in order to classify the information. In the road of open science, they want to make things better for everyone. I'll link both websites on the description of the show. Newsteller.io uh, is this platform that we, we built with uh, so, some other uh, researchers here in uh, EPFL. It's basically an extension of silence in terms of that we, we do not focus only on scientific news, but news in general. So we are monitoring around 1,000 1, news accounts from, from Twitter. And from there, we, we are uh, extracting the news articles, uh, these indicators for quality indicators, the reactions, the followers, anything that is uh, related to these uh, articles and we we showcase them uh, to users now the the different use cases that we have is that of course you can uh, if you are an expert on an area you can uh, log into this uh, platform and you can evaluate articles. Uh, you can write reviews or you can have different dimensions that you evaluate uh, the article. And 
using this platform, you can show your reviews to other users that will visit the platform. That's one use case. The, the other is that, as I said, we we are planning to provide these uh, data that we have because we are in a we are following this open uh, science uh, culture that we want to expose uh, everyone, uh, all the scientists to, to this data that we have. So we we are planning to to open all the data that we have, that we collect to to other scientists to, to do studies uh, like social studies or political studies and to like the, the goal is to, to to have this platform as a central point for people that want to uh, study, to do studies on, on news. And that's it for another lengthy edition of Lefteris Ask Science. It might have taken a bit longer to be released, but it, this was a hefty one. I hope you have a better understanding about how social media work. Maybe it's not you, but maybe it's somebody that you know that might have fallen into some traps of the social media because they are basically built to make you engage more and more with them. I'd like to thank soon-to-be Dr. Panagiotis Meros and the best of luck in the future of his research work. And thank you for sticking around until the end. In the show notes, you'll find ways that you can support me in doing this podcast. One easy way you can support me is just by sharing this episode with a friend. I really appreciate it. Until we meet again, take care, keep learning, and be kind.